This is Good Together, the podcast that inspires you to create change in the world every day. I'm your host, Laura Alexander-Wittig, CEO and founder of Brightly, the number one destination for conscious consumers around the world. At Good Together, we value the planet over perfection and believe that you can make positive things happen for the planet every day by being a conscious consumer and an informed citizen. Listen in as I chat with various experts about living and consuming responsibly. Okay, so Good Together listeners, I am so excited to talk about a topic today that most of us have heard of, but I feel like few of us know much about, which is coral reefs and how they're endangered. So today, I'm really excited to welcome Jolien Collier, the president and founder of the nonprofit Counting Coral, to the podcast, and he's going to tell us about why this important issue matters to the world around us. So welcome. Yeah, hi Laura. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to chatting Absolutely. with you. Absolutely. So let's let's dive into it because you know, as we know, coral reefs really do play a vital role in protecting our coastal cities from waves, storms, and floods. And of course, we know they're they're beautiful to look at and important to biodiversity. So can you tell us a little bit about what's going on with them right now and sort of um, what the what the urgency is? Yeah, so it's pretty tragic what's going on with coral reefs and the word urgency is absolutely uh, uh, correct. So uh, you've nailed that on the head. So everybody's heard of global warming, climate change, human activity that's driving global warming. Well, what people don't realize is when the, um, the atmosphere heats up due to global warming, and we're heading to uh, 1.5 degrees of global warming right now. Well, the oceans absorb 93% of that energy and that heat. So when that happens, the ocean draws down that heat and the ocean temperatures rise. Um, Unfortunately for coral, um, they only occupy 1% of the ocean floor, just FYI. And they support 25% of the population directly or indirectly with protein. So it's a huge, valuable resource, and it's one of the smallest, you know, um, populations of animal life on our planet, considering the largest, it's one of the largest biodiversity uh, situations. So what ends up happening is the ocean temperatures rise, and uh, most tropical hard corals and soft corals can survive between 75 and 85 degrees of temperature in the water. Once it goes past that, they're at the limit of uh, survival. Uh, unfortunately, because of global warming and ocean temperatures rising, those temperatures are in excess of 97 degrees in certain parts of the world. So coral reefs are dying off at an alarming rate. We've lost 50% of coral Mm. reefs to date. And that's only happened in 30 to 35 years. So we're looking at very small timelines and massive problems in those small timelines. So it's predicted that in another 30 years, most uh, coral reef uh, ecosystems will can be at the point of collapse and uh, functionally uh, not being able to reproduce fast enough to keep up with the the uh, effects of uh, ocean temperatures. Yeah, running. I mean it's it's such a such an important thing to talk about, and I think 
the way that you've, um, you know, verbalized this and, and tried to tie it back to, you know, the ecosystem as a whole, and also understanding a little bit more about the ocean's impact on, you know, just climate change and absorbing rising temperatures, I think is really important because most people, I feel like when they hear about coral reefs, um, going away, it's more of a vanity thing, right? Like, oh, the beautiful coral reefs are going away. I might not be able to see them on a vacation or, you know, maybe, maybe they possibly consider the animal and the biodiversity angle of things, but to really put it in perspective like that is, is very interesting. And I think something that um, our audience probably hasn't thought about. So, you know, if we think about this, the urgency uh, question that we just talked about, um, so you're saying that we've lost, you know, 50% of these, uh, you know, coral reefs in a very small amount of time. So, you know, how, how is that happening? Like what other than, you know, the, the ocean warming, um, you know, can you tell us a little bit more about things like coral bleaching or, you know, consumer related, um, damage as well? Cause I feel like we've, we've heard a little bit about that too, um, as a world, but don't know as much about it as well. Yeah, so unfortunately, coral is just being assaulted from yeah. every angle. You have ocean acidification. So when we pump um, carbon and uh, aluminum oxides, and you name, I'm just sure. naming the, the list of points, probably about 20 or 30 different uh, chemicals that go into the atmosphere from burning fossil fuels, CO2, and all the rest of it. Well, that gets trapped into the atmosphere, rains down into the ocean through storms, and that uh, adds to the pH balance being uh, changed. And it's noticed that softshell crabs, their crab shells are now oh, melting, wow. and coral reefs are suffering because we have a lot of soft corals. And those soft corals, that pH cannot change. So you're literally putting acid into the ocean. Then you have um, one of the third leasing cause of damage for coral reefs is tourism. Uh, they actually stap on, stand on it. I've seen people just stood on 500-year-old pieces of coral that mm. are animals. So it's like standing on the head of an animal. They snap it. They you know take it home. They don't realize it's not a rock. Um, so there's a lot of fronts against coral. And then the, 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 the really troubling one for me is, uh, you know, like human beings have disease, right? And there's a certain percentage of our population that get uh, ill and unfortunately yes. die, right? Uh, well, the same thing for coral reefs. So 4% of coral reefs die of disease. Those diseases are now increasing because of ocean temperatures. It's much like, you know, the pandemic was probably a production of, I mean, there's a lot of controversy about where it came from but a lot of diseases come from hot tropical yep. climates so in the ocean we have the same thing so those diseases are increasing naturally by themselves but in addition to that microplastics are now really really tiny and they're in our oceans and in, in the trillions of tons and coral mm, eat them. oh gosh yeah <laughs> and it's been noted that the disease has gone from four percent to almost 90 percent when they can consume these plastics because it's petroleum based it's a chemical and uh, they're literally you know getting cancer as it were so uh um there's just a ton of stuff coming at them and then with uh global change of our environment we have really really intense storms we're getting what used to be category two three cyclones in the south pacific had just gone straight up to yeah. five uh category five uh, um, cyclones which are tearing up the reefs as well because reefs are a barrier to island nations and you've heard of the great yep. barrier reef 
but they they can only exactly. take so much before uh, they just break down break down break down and break down and they cannot grow fast enough to repopulate themselves and um come back from a massive storm so it's coming from every single angle yeah i mean and there's a few things in there that i want to get into but one of the things that stood out to me was um your your point about microplastics because we've talked about that a little bit on this podcast and it's something again i think a term that people know we've heard of but we don't really know the impact and so you know if you're if you're talking about microplastics ingestion from the point of these coral reefs you can only imagine like what it's what's it's doing to other animals what it's doing to us as we ingest it and so you know that to me is just almost like a canary in the coal mine for microplastics but of course we could do a whole podcast episode on that right <laughs> yeah absolutely i mean you know the corals Corals eat it, fish eat yeah. it, we eat it. I don't personally eat meat or fish. I've abstained from that for 20, 30 years now because of the climate issue. So, um, yeah, it's not healthy. And we're, we're consuming these pro, you know, chemicals essentially from every single front. So if you eat meat, you're consuming chemicals because uh, the corn and feed that has been fed to those cows have been sprayed with really, really heavy duty chemicals. Um, and then, you know chemicals in your home for instance can you know toxify your body so you know as a human race we're pretty toxic and now we're just pushing that toxicity into our oceans and in our environments at scary and alarming rates and you can see ocean um, dead zones now um, there used to be like one in the gulf of mexico back in the 70s and now i think there's over 350 dead zones in our world right now and they are gigantic they're like the, the size of small countries at this point so they've expanded exploded in dead zones um so we're just we're just killing our oceans and so, killing ourselves so when you say dead zones are you referring to um just to, to explain that a little bit to me yeah so agricultural runoff goes into the ocean um and then chemical runoff so you if you look at both of them kind of as connections um so what we do is we go in we chop down forests we create agricultural lands and then we farm the the cows on those lands those animals degrade that land and then they need massive amounts of food because they've now degraded the resource that they uh, chomped down for maybe a few months so then we go and grow just gigantic fields of soybean and corn and we spray those uh, just unbelievable tonnage yes. of chemicals now the rain comes uh washes those chemicals into our tributaries into our rivers and out into the ocean now those uh chemicals create an explosion of bacteria then there's an actual another bacteria that comes in to eat that bacteria and that bacteria exhausts the oxygen mm. in the ocean and then the fish come in to try and eat that bacteria because it's like oh there's a load of food here and they end up you know not being able to breathe and oh, they wow. die so you end up with just thousands and thousands of fish dying across coastlands all over and there's a, a explosion of what they call sea snot in turkey uh, that's just huge blooms of this algae that just looks like snot okay. basically <laughs> And it's covering the coastlines. Uh, yeah. It's, wow. It's well, I, I had not, um, I was not familiar with the concept of, of a dead zone. So that was fascinating to me. And so, um, you know, thinking about this problem, right, we, we've talked about really what's going on in the oceans. I'd like even to take a step back and, and understand a little bit about how you got into this line of work, how you decided to found Counting Coral and sort of what, what inspired you to dedicate your life to this cause? So um, I traveled, I've, I, my kind of whole thought process on life, it kind of is a deep uh, process for me. And I love to travel and I love what I call the accumulation of experiential knowledge. 
for me, when I accumulate knowledge, I feel complete and happy in my life. Now, the way I consume that knowledge is through travel and experience. And the more experience I have, the happier I am. I, when I die on my dead be- deathbed, I'm going to be happy because I'm not thinking about a Porsche or a house or the shiny object that I was glued to and had to buy. I'm going to be thinking about the people I met, my family, the travels, the experiences that I've had in my life. And that gives me joy. So at a very early young age, I understood this very well. I saved up a ton of money and traveled around the world. And one of the first places I went as that world travel was Fiji. And I went onto a reef called the Flower Reef for the first time uh, 22 or three years ago. Now, I've been a diver for 30 years and I've dove lots of tropical locations. But this trip in particular was one of these illuminating trips. So I dove uh, on this flower reef and it just blew me away, right? I was like, wow, this is what a real coral reef looks like because I've been to Mexico, I've been you know, to Hawaii and places like that. But Fiji is just pristine or was, should I say, 22 years ago. And I was just blown away. And then that inspired me to become a videographer for surfers because I'm a surfer myself. And I noticed in the water that the guys were only using um, JPEG files to give to their clients. And I was like, wow, I could create MP4 files, video files, do little videos, edit them and sell them to the DV, uh, sell them to the tourists. Now, Fiji is one of the world class waves on the planet. They hold a lot of the uh, world tour pro surfing circuit goes mm-hmm. through Fiji. So we're talking massive waves, dangerous waves and tourists coming in into those areas to surf are very apprehensive about surfing. They'll wait re- like hours before they'll actually try and catch a wave because they're dangerous. That allowed me a lot of time to spend in the water filming the reefs. So you can imagine a wave lifting up is about a 15 foot wave and you can see it's crystal clear water. You can see a shark swimming through the backside of it or a turtle or a school of parrotfish or angelfish or whatever the, the fish was. So I was glued to surfing, uh, I mean, filming the reefs quite a lot. And then I'll be like, oh, no, there's a surfer coming, pull my camera out of the water and start filming him, like forgetting I'm actually there to do a (laughs) job, right? I would go up through the island chains. I'd spend a few weeks editing, going up to the island chains, and the resort operators start seeing me uh, editing, and they're like, oh, what's that? Well, you got a camera, you know, and this was not too many people had cameras back in those days and not too many people who were shooting video. So they're like, hey, would you mind doing a promotional DVD for our resort? So then I started filming their reefs. And that's where the love of coral and coral reefs came into play. Fast forward 22 years, I'm now semi-retired, got a lot of time on my hands. I got a, you know years of experience in the building industry, diving industry. So I've turned my attention to saving coral reefs. That's awesome. Way. Well, I love that story because it really shows how what started as a passion in other areas kind of uh, led its way into your current line of work. So, so that's amazing. Um, and I feel like if anybody listening has had the chance to see coral reefs in person, like it's, it's really difficult to explain how beautiful they are. And, you know, to think about the, the destruction of them, both from a, a, a planetary perspective and an ecosystem perspective is, is just really heartbreaking. And so now we've kind of talked about, you know, the problem, we'd love to kind of get into actionable steps that people can do to help save coral reefs. So I know that they, um, you know, can potentially partner with nonprofits like yours, whether it's volunteering or donating or things like that. Um, and, you know, I'd love to hear a little bit more about how they could do that. But what are some other things that people can do um, to really help mobilize and, and save these coral reefs? Stop eating fish and stop eating meat. Interesting. Yeah, go into it. Yeah, tell us a little bit more. I mean, it's, it's, that's a very interesting perspective. <clears throat> 
Well, meat production is uh, accounting for 30% of our emissions right now. It's accounting for massive deforestation in Brazil and all over the world. Uh, it's accounting for just gigantic dead zones in our ocean. And then fishing, we're uh, probably a, uh, easily 98% or 96% loss of or breakdowns of all fisheries on our planet right now. And you can watch Seaspiracy, Cowspiracy, Game Changer. I mean, there's a ton of different documentaries you can go and educate yourself on. So educate yourself and do us a favor. Don't start complaining about climate change if you're, if you're participating. Uh, we have to come together as a collective to stop participating in the madness that we are on like a merry-go-round going around and round and round talking about the same problems, but not actually taking any action steps uh, towards uh, stopping these problems. It's not only about animal cruelty at this point. We're talking about a massive problem of gigantic tons and tons of chemicals going into our um, uh, oceans. And just imagine the packing supply chain of meat in general. Uh, you have these massive factories pumping out just gigantic amounts of uh, petroleum and, and, and generators to um, you know hack up this meat and then it goes into polystyrene packages and it goes into trucks and it's going around the globe in just massive quantities you have 80 uh, 80 million tons of meat being processed every single uh, year so we're talking about a lot a lot of problems when it comes to the meat industry and the fishing industry absolutely um, and, you know, we, we talk about this frequently on Good Together, but yes, whether you are looking to completely not eat meat or radically reduce your consumption, it's absolutely important for us all to consider that because for all the reasons you just mentioned, um, it's a very, um, you know, actionable thing you can do in your daily life. Um, so another question I had for you was, you know, my understanding previously of, you know, other things people could do was uh, use something like called a reef friendly sunscreen. But tell me a little bit more about that. Like, I'm sure people often ask you about this. Like, is it really that big of a deal? Um, you know, what, what should we know as consumers about reef friendly sunscreen? Yeah, my, my point on that is why yeah, not that's use it? True. You know, it doesn't cost that doesn't cost that much extra. And you're talking just do yourselves a favor as just just as a consumer, read the label. <laughs> if you read the label and do the research, you would never put this stuff yes. on your skin. You know, our, our, our vascular system is the largest organ on our planet, and it's at the surface of us. I'm sorry, the vascular system is the largest organ in our bodies. And the vascular system is the closest to the skin's yeah. surface. So as soon as you put chemicals on your skin, it's a direct ex uh, extraction of those chemicals and pumped into your bloodstream. Now, you can't tell me that's not going to cause problems in your health down the road. And then all that sunscreen is then going into the ocean. Now, you imagine like Hawaii, where they have tens of millions of people traveling there all the time, just lashing on sunscreen and going into these coral reefs and swimming around as if there's nothing going on. And all this all these chemicals are now leaching off their bodies and onto the coral reefs. And again, remember, coral reefs eat microplastics. So they also filter, you know the ocean for debris that's going past so they have what's called a polyp and polyps make up um, thousands of mouths on a coral so when you look at a coral under a microscope there's just thousands and thousands of mouths on a coral filtering um, um, the ocean for debris and food particles and that's part of the way it eats it does have a symbiotic relationship with an algae but the other way it eats is by filtering so it's just filtering all the chemicals coming off of people's bodies well i mean that's a really that's i think 
think such a like a visceral way to think about how the sunscreen's working and you know to imagine all of these people going in and you know not not using anything that's friendly to themselves or to the planet so that's super important so i'd love to kind of you know wrap up our conversation by understanding um you know a, an innovation that your nonprofit counting coral uh has is created um which is the world's first underwater stainless steel sculptural coral bank so can you tell me a little bit about what this is and sort of how this is helping to protect and restore coral reefs? Yeah, so um, I looked at coral reef restoration in on a multiple different multiple different levels. Um, a lot of restoration projects are just like wireframes on the seafloor, and you see it all across every nonprofit. Just look up a nonprofit saving coral reefs, and they're either like wireframes hanging uh, in suspended in the ocean by using um, uh, little frames with a, a float ball on it, or they're just driven stakes driven into the ground in a wireframe, and they plant coral on it as like a nursery. Well, to me, that's uninspiring. It really does nothing for tourism or ecotourism, right? So if you have over 10 million divers all searching out cool experiences, that's probably the least on the list of cool experiences, in my opinion, to go and spend two to $270 on a two-tank dive and you're diving down and seeing some wireframe on breeze blocks or something like that. So that's one of the issues. I wanted it to be a visually appealing coral nursery slash coral bank. Um, because you create stakeholders. So what we do is we design, build, install, and donate these sculptures to organizations doing good work, or we start our own reef programs ourselves. Now we have currently ready to ship on April 28th, 109 beautifully designed sculptural pieces ready to ship to Fiji to be sunk into Novola Bay on your Sour Island group. And it's going to be a beautiful 50 foot underwater sculptural marine park. So it's a 50 foot circle and it can house hundreds of uh, pieces of coral. Now, that's the beautiful aesthetic, drawing the tourism, create sure. stakeholder <laughs> sure. part of it. So now all these dive operators around there are going to want to take their tourists to there because it's a tourist attraction that's something very different that people have not seen. So then they become stakeholders because they're vested parties in this now. And they're going to be like, hey, we can make money on this. This is amazing. So uh, they're going to have a marketing opportunity. So everybody's invested. Then that when we put our work into the um, seafloor, we go after what we consider resilient coral strains. Now, these resilient coral strains are genetically superior coral that can withstand heat temperatures going above their normal type of uh, temperature range. So if, an, uh, if a reef scape dies, some of them survive. And because of the algae inside of them, they manage to withstand heat temperatures above their normal range. So we go after those guys immediately because uh, the predators are also going after that because uh, there's no coral left on the reefscape apart from these few surviving genetically superior coral. So we then um, grow and grab those coral and put them onto our sculptures. Now we grow out those sculptures um, to spawn what we can consider spawning maturity. So it can be like two, three feet uh, big in a ball that's on our sculptures. And then uh, we allow them to go through the spawning cycle. So they'll grow up, uh, they'll start to spawn and the eggs and larvae will then go out onto the dead reefscape and naturally propagate those reef systems with uh, this resilient coral. Yeah, so we allow these corals to grow to spawning maturity and they will then naturally propagate these uh, dead reef systems with uh, climate resilient coral. So they'll just kind of naturally grow on their own. But 
in addition to that, we've protected them. They're now off the seafloor. They're away from predators. And some of the predators are crown of thorns, starfish, sea slugs, sea snails, and they crawl across the reef and they eat coral. Uh, and they're exploding in numbers again because of chemicals. Agricultural runoff is now providing these predators with massive amounts of food. So they're exploding in numbers. That was one of the other issues we didn't actually talk about. But so we take these corals, we put them in a protected environment, allow them to grow spawning maturity. Then after a few spawning cycles, they're big enough to harvest. Now we can harvest up to 40% of that coral. So we come in, we give it a little haircut. So we take little fragments off and we put those fragments onto a secondary nursery table adjacent to the sculptural park, which is also engaging for tourists because they now see the whole cycle of what we consider a coral bank. It's like, okay, they've grown, they've harvested, they go onto these tables. Then what happens? Well, then we plant them out onto the reef by hand and we do selective uh, like clumping of these corals. So we'll grow, we'll, we won't try and like put fragments everywhere. We'll do like a four foot circle and then say five feet away, we'll do another four foot circle and then five feet away, we do another four foot circle. And that's been proven to be very effective because that coral then grows into each other and has a really nice solid base for fish to come into. So if there's a five foot circle, they can come in and hide in that coral. Whereas if you planted fragments like one foot apart all over the reefscape, then it, there's really nowhere for them to kind of congregate and have like a little, uh, you know, artificial reef, as it were. Uh, and that obviously takes years and years to do that. And it's in a very slim hope that the ocean temperatures are not going to rise, which they are going to rise. So we're just kind of doing this in a futile attempt to help save corals. But one of the bonuses to our art installations is everything is detachable. So if a massive heat wave comes in and these corals can't withstand the new temperatures because they've been resilient to a certain temperature, they're no longer resilient because ocean temperatures are still rising. We can detach these coral uh, um, sculptures and swim them to deeper depths where the water is cooler, allow that kind of heating cycle to go through during a summer or whatever, and watch the ocean temperatures cool down a bit, then we can bring them back up and put them back in their location. Now what that does is it allows these resilient corals to go through what we call a stressor. So they become stressed, they become, they could bleach even. But when we put them in cooler water, they, they come back to life and they start to live again. But that's actually teaching them to be able to behave in a way that they need to be stronger. So they've, they've become more resilient now because they've almost died. Wow. Yeah, Does no, it, make it definitely makes sense. And I think it's such a creative approach to this problem, right? I mean, just everything from the the way that the you know mechanism works, the way that you've um, thought about how to attract tourism to it and working within the ecosystems um, locally, I think it's just, it's so fascinating and what a cool project to be a part of, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, honestly, it's very, very difficult. Uh, we have over 1500 parts that we've got to assemble. Uh, just imagine trying to put 109 sculptures wow, into the yeah. seafloor. It's not easy. You need full dive teams, uh, you know, fully um, certified instructors and dive masters and safety divers. And, you know, you just name yeah. the list of the people involved in this. These are massive. And tell projects. me again where it's going to be located. 
It's on. Um, it's in. It's in the Yasawa Island group of Fiji. Okay. So if you look at the map of Fiji on the left side, the western side of Fiji, you have a small group which is called the Mamanukas. Okay. Then you have another group that goes further up to the to the west, and that's called the Yasawa Islands. And we're doing it just off an island called Nakula Island, which is N A C U L A. And we partnered with an organization called Blue Lagoon Beach Resorts, and they are. Um, one of the people that are hosting us, uh, supplying divers in addition to our divers, helping us with the shipping, because again, they're now vested uh, interest in this and becoming stakeholders, right? So they want to help. They want a new marketing opportunity so they can just uh, you know take over their competition and get more <laughs> the, people. There you go. Right? But, but they're also eco-friendly and eco-conscious. So it's a win-win for everybody. They want to be a part of this, you know? So we are actually embarking on a very large reef restoration project, not just the coral um, sculptures anymore. Um, with this particular project sometimes we'll donate to an organization that's self-managing uh we're actually going to manage this and try and do a very large operation outside of just that's awesome well this has just been such a wonderful conversation and to me it's it's been very informative and also just helped i think do a little bit of myth busting relating to what's going on with our coral reefs and sort of what's going on with the world around us and so um i just wanted to you know wrap things up by asking you what you personally are excited about um, from the movement that's happening now with ethical and sustainable consumerism? Like what, what excites you the most about what's going on? Um, I just, I just hope people just understand what ethical and sustainability is really all about and how be very, very cautious about when you hear that from any company, just do your research because it's quite easy to get a sustainable stamp on your company as like say a carbon offset but the reality is that company may not be uh truly doing what they're saying there is a lot of greenwashing going on i don't want to distract people from choosing uh potential brands to partner with or buy from and i would encourage people to buy sustainable products for sure uh but just look into the companies and make sure they're actually doing what they say they're doing because like i say there's very loose guidelines to get that sustainable stamp on your website absolutely well you know we you know at brightly are very committed to helping consumers with that research and going through that. And that's one of the reasons why we started this podcast. But um, anyway, thank you so much, Julian. We really appreciate um, having you come on today. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. I really do. And uh, I hope your audiences uh, are interested in our cause. And please uh, obviously go to our website and check it out. It's a pretty cool awesome. Website. Thanks so much. joining us on another episode of Good Together. To get show notes and more, head to brightly.eco slash podcast. And as a special thank you to our listeners, use code GOODTOGETHER to get 10% off all products in Brightly's brand new shop full of planet positive swaps for your home. Finally, don't forget to join in on the conversation with us on social, where I know you can find us at brightly.eco. Don't forget, we're all on this journey together, so have fun putting the planet first and stay curious.